Chances are you've seen, heard, read, or enjoyed some kind of art from our next guest. Turk Pipkin is an actor, writer, and activist. He knew he wanted to write and work in film, and he made it happen. Recorded during our time at South by Southwest, we got a chance to sit down with Turk and hear how he made his passions his career. Here's our conversation with Turk Pipkin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Masters and Founders, the podcast that's brought to you by Founding Austin. Before we begin, I want to thank our sponsors for enabling us to do this. Uh, we want to thank Waterloo, Sparkling Water, Tiny House Coffee, Kind Bar, Still Whiskey, and of course, Russell Collection Fine Art Gallery that we're doing all this in. Um, today, we have Turk Pipkin, who is the founder of, well, he's an author, founder of Book of Every Other Month Club, and we're going to hear a little bit about his story from beginning to end, and I kind of just want to jump right in, so we will do that. How are you, Turk? You having a good day, sir? Good morning. I'm having a great day. I, I'm up, and I've got coffee, and, um, and it's South By in Austin, Texas. Happy so spring nice. break to you. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, uh, you know, spring break, If you, once you don't have kids in school anymore, it, it, it spring break is the whole idea of it brings spring break, you even forget that exists. Exactly. So, not like I'm going to go to a beach bar. That's right. So let's. I mean, I am, but not during spring break. Why not? Yeah, exactly, yeah. of course. So let's jump right in and tell the audience what you do and, and how you got into it and, and basically the whole story wherever you want to start off. Well, I am what I do would pretty much take the whole podcast, I think. But I, um, people tend to know me from however they first heard about me, which I don't think is unusual for people in the creative arts. So, um, but in my case, <clears throat> because I'm a writer, I've always been a writer since I was a kid, really, and, and a, a filmmaker, and uh, work as an actor sometimes, and, and then also my wife and I, you know, are the founders of the Nobility Project, an education and film nonprofit. So, if, if people know one of my, in like a novel, my novel Fast Screens, for instance, which is 25 years old at this point, but still a really wonderful book, if that's what they know, that's pretty much what they know. Right. And if they uh, if they know me from Nobility, the first of the three features uh, made for the Nobility Project, which is a film about look at global issues, and then they're Nobility fans, and it's amazing. Sometimes years later, people go, "Wow, I didn't know you were an actor." After yeah. they've been very involved in our work, or they, yeah. they know me from The Sopranos. Then, then obviously that's one that sticks out. That's cool. I have a question. So, uh, uh, as we discussed, you know, founding Austin, founding Masters and Founders, is all about helping others find their pe uh, path. And as a you know, I've been in wealth management for a long time, and during that. 18 years, I was able to understand that a lot of people follow a path that's really not necessarily theirs. And what we like to highlight through Masters and Founders is anybody's had more than 10,000 hours doing what they were pursuing their passion, I really look at you as the epitome of that. You just kind of do whatever you want to do. And I want to go back to where you started and, and didn't take the traditional path and, and decided I'm going to do my own thing. Well, you know, it, it's it's a trust that that you know, doing whatever you wanted, whenever it is, it doesn't really, I've been at this a long time, but you still, when you, you know, if I say I'm going to do something called the book of the Every Other Month Club, I'm going to publish six books this year, <clears throat> I don't know if it's going to work or not. You know, I know I've got a couple of the books done, and I know that I've got to do a whole lot of writing and a whole lot of, you know, 
unfortunately when you work in the creative arts or the creative world but I don't know that it's that different if you're in the business world or any other field you know you there's a lot of facets to the work it's not just the write the book right. and uh, you know it's not just come up with a business idea you actually you know Tito says wow I'm gonna make vodka in my bathtub you know was that the aha moment or did everything Tito do from then till now yeah. build this multi-billion dollar business you know I agree. And, so in my case, um, I wanted to be a writer when I was a kid. I mean, I started trying to write a novel when I was probably 12 years old. And, um, and I didn't, you know, I wanted to make film. I became a huge fan of film. I grew up in West Texas and there, you know, I had to go, there were two theaters in town. We didn't, you know, there, of course there were no videotapes or DVDs and there was basically no film on TV unless you, you know, unless you stayed up really, really late at night and, you know, watched movies in black and white, which is okay, you know. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know how to get in the film business and I didn't know how to publish books. So I, I in my case, I ended up becoming a performer just because I didn't have anybody else to write for. I, I wrote for myself. But I think ultimately that's the, the key is people who want to, whether you're in creative arts or in any other kind of endeavor, the, the key is you you'd say, well, I'm going to do this instead of that other life, which is a nine to five job. And when you get off work, you're not at work, right? You're in a job where you're never off work. That's right. And, um, so starting out, uh, you said kid went into, in, into acting or become an actor. And was there any fear that this may not work out? Cause I mean, you have all these other people saying, well, it, typically you have, people saying what they're going to say, obviously you're not following a nine to five path, but were there any fears that this wouldn't work or were we just like confident this is going to work the entire I, I time? I think we shouldn't work in the past tense here. We should be talking, is there any fear that this <laughs> isn't going to work out? Not was there. Right. Um, no, nothing is guaranteed. No, I, I, um, you know, I don't know when you're young, it's, you know, you got to be a little fearless when you're young. And, um, and I, I mean, mine is a very unconventional path. I mean, I was a street performer and, um, but you know, I, I'm not sure that. I was luckily, luckily enough, I was a street performer at a time when that didn't really have a lot of negative connotations. People were walking by and going, "What the heck is that guy doing? Wow!" You know, now it's like a, it's a street performer. We got to get away. There's my buddy Jay Reynolds walking by. That's why it's nice to be here. Um, <laughs> the um, so the fear part of it, I, I think, you know, it's still there. You know, if you're an actor and you have to go in and you got to go audition. I don't, you, you know, it's, to me, the nature of auditioning is don't be scared. The second nature of auditioning is you will be scared. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why. I mean, some, I know, I know there are great masters of the craft who, of course, that would never occur to them to be nervous or something. But um, in essence, no matter how much you learn the part, when you go in there in front of the director and the casting director and all these other people you don't know, and you're not in a set, you're not in costumes, you have no idea what this character is really supposed to, it's all guesswork, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, um, but that's not that, I think it still comes back, that's a kind of a good analogy for anything else you're trying to accomplish. You don't know what's gonna work. Right. You, you know, just you just have to follow your instincts and, and, um, and your instincts, you know, that's that's the key, really. Um, and then that that transitioned into so acting transitioned into writing. Is that what? Yeah. You well, know? I was like I said, I was, I was actually very early on. I was working as a street performer, and then I started. I was a stand-up comedian. I worked in clubs, and I wrote, I did theater. I wrote. I guess before I was really stand-up comedian, I was doing one-man theater shows, and uh, 
that worked okay for a while. I worked kind of a, all over the world, really. And then I, I moved into his comedy clubs, became more commonplace. I started doing comedy, and I mean, it's really been a kind of an arc. I mean, I, I spent a year on tour as Rodney Dangerfield's opening act. Oh, wow. And I didn't know that. So, you know, it's like a, there's about six lifetimes back there that are forgotten. I don't know how many shows I did at Armadillo Royal Headquarters because I was the one, like, non-music act that played the Armadillo here in Austin. I probably did 50 shows there. Wow. And that's 50 times you're up in front of 500 to 1,000 people mm -hmm. finding out what works and what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And when you're in a comedy club, you find out, you know. Real quick. You know, in a comedy club, we call them comedy clubs, but really it's just a bar full of drunk people that, whose attention you're trying to hold, you mm -hmm. know. And so the, the, the feedback is immediate. And feedback is the way you learn. That's right. And, um, and everything. when you write, your feedback comes, you can spend two or three years writing a book and then you send it to an editor or you send it to a, uh, your friend, you know, or you, know, you give it to your spouse and they read it and go, eh, didn't quite get it. And you're like, oh, well, I'll start again. So it, 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 it's feedback, um, building feedback into your life, I think is one of the most important things. Finding people you trust, even if it's an audience, so you have to trust them, right. you know. It, um, but uh, if it's just people that you're running your ideas by, you need to get the feedback and you need to listen to it. We, we hate to be shot down, but you know, two thirds of all our ideas suck. Yeah, it's those ones you pursue and keep and, and, and uh, make an effort and keep going. Just make those pivots and learn and grow. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I yeah. wanna, I wanna yeah. get back to the masters of, of this project we say 10,000 hours. How many hours do you think that you've spent writing? Could you put a number you know, on it? Well, I'd have to come at it a different way, but I know that like at home in a closet that I'm trying to figure out whether I'm going to box it up and somebody is going to pretend that it's worth something some way or whether I'm just going to take it all to recycling. But I've written about, uh, and this has been a long time since I've done any of this, but I wrote about 100 hours of primetime television, you know, kind of in the middle of all these other things. And, you know, so the scripts are, every one of those scripts weighs, you know, it's just this giant thick script. And um, I, um, and in s some cases they're like live shows like Farm Aid where there were, you're, where you're writing for five or six cameras with different hosts and one thing or another. Literally the script is like 18 inches thick. And <laughs> it's, it's absolutely insane. So how many hours? It's like, well, 20 hours a day on that project for, you know, for a month. So then you, you know, you, you factor it all out times a hundred. Um, 10,000 won't even touch it. And that's just, that's just the, the television and the screenplays, you know, and, and um, you know, it's the same thing with written more nonfiction than fiction, but uh, it's about time I finish this book club at the end of the year with a new book coming out every other year. It's gonna be w way north of 15 books. It'll be close to 20 books I've, I've published. And, you know, it's impossible to calculate the hours, all of them, um, but I like to write. Yeah. What's the, the, the thing you love to write the most? Um, whatever I'm writing right now. Okay. Where do you where do you uh, so, where do you get your inspiration to? Where where do your ideas come from? Um, I, I think that the two of those pro those questions probably go hand in hand. But but literally like last week to this week on um, inspiration and and what do you like the most? So it, it kind of keep. This is what's heavy in my head right now, looping back to the book club. So I just sent to, well, 
I, I haven't been working on it because it, it's been at the printer, but this book, Requiem for a Screenplay, which is, is three screenplays that I wrote and when I was in Hollywood that never got made. I think they're all great reads. So a month ago, or two months ago, that was being, I was copy editing the intros and, and we were doing layout and design. And so that was just kind of, it's almost a visual endeavor at that point. Mm -hmm. Wasn't really writing that much anymore. The book was written, I was just trying to make it all right. But as soon as that was finished, I was back into a draft of this, the next book, which is a novel called All for Love, that I, uh, one I've been working on for a very long time. And I, mean, I absolutely love the book, and, and so I, you know, literally just kind of couldn't quit going back to it and saying, okay, it's done, and then the next, you know, next morning getting up and going, well, maybe I better look one more time, mm -hmm. and then reading the entire book again, and, you know, maybe changing 20 little things, and then read the entire book, and then say, okay, it's done. Okay, there was one other thing I wanted to go back and look at. So the, the inspiration in that case is, I mean, it's a story that's kind of, it's about a, a dad and his daughter lost at sea on a fishing trip in the Sea of Cortez. So I have daughters who were about that age when this story started and so books and I spent a lot of time in Mexico and a lot of time in the Sea of Cortez and a lot of natural world built into it. So all those are inspirations. It comes out of my life, comes out of the things I love to do and, and a lot of it's connected always to the natural world. But that book went to the designer two days ago and now <laughs> I have to immediately, because I have to have another book ready in two months, it's partially done. The next one's called, is called Poetry Machine, and I work with Bob Schneider on this, the great thing called Bob Schneider's Poetry Machine, or it's, the book's called Words for Your Songs, but it's based on my work for Poetry Machine. So, you know, for the next six weeks, I'll, that's what I'll, I'll be focused on, and it's a completely different inspiration story, because you're writing poetry, I'm a... I'm probably only a half a dozen pieces short that go in this in this piece, and I've got all the illustration work in the in the works. But uh, the um, that's a half a dozen ideas. I have no idea what they are, so I might have to write one about about masters and founders. I like it. That'd be great. Where where did this idea of book of the other every other month look? Well, it, it, some of it started. I had all for love, which I thought was finished. Of course, now that I've done nine more passes at, but I had all for love finished, and I. Um, I had this other book, Moleskin Mystery, which was the first one. That's a little novel that a guy, about a guy who finds a moleskin in a little classic Italian journal, and he finds it in a bar and starts reading it, and he gets caught up in it, and then he turns the page and it's blank, and it's handwritten in blue ink. It's somebody's journal, you know, and it seems just wrong for it to be blank. So he asks the bartender for a pen, and it's blue, and he starts writing. And so it's it's a novel about a guy finding a novel, and um, it's really the mystery is really about who this guy is who found the book more than about who I think it's the mystery of who lost the book but it's really the mystery of who found it um, and I, I was working on that book I wanted to publish them both and there's no publisher in New York who wants two novels at the same time and at my point much we want any novels you know, the book business is a little bit broken right now and um, so in that sort of master's look at what you do you have to even if it's creative arts or you're starting an app or anything else you're doing, if, you, if, if you're going to do it in a great way, you have to figure out a way to make it successful. So I thought of this idea, well, maybe I should do a book club. And I'd had a book at the Book of the, a book of the Month Club in the old days, a uh, novel, When Angels Sing, that was published by Algonquin, which we made into a movie with Willie and Harry Connick Jr. and a bunch of great people. But um, 
I, um, <clears throat> that had been a book of the month club official selection back in the old days. You know, they mailed you a card every mm -hmm. month, and if you didn't mail it back, they would make you buy the book. And, uh, and I thought, well, that's what I should do, a book of the month club. And I'd have to write, no, there's no way I can write 12 books in a year. And then somewhere in there, I thought, well, I could write six books, and then the title book of the Every Other Month Club came. But even six books is, is aggressive for most. Or it's re it's very aggressive. It's absolutely insane, as yeah, I'm finding insane. out. that's insane. That's what I was going to say. That's insane. <laughs> I was hesitant to aggressive. say aggressive, it's but it's like insane. insane. But here's two, here's two of them done, right. and, and, one of them's, and one of them's off to the designer, and, um, and um, one of them is finished and is being illustrated in Kenya. It's a children's story, and it's a full-color, really beautiful book, and it's being illustrated in Kenya. So other than me meeting with the illustrator when I'm over there in a couple of weeks and finalizing it all, it's done. You got three now. So I, I'm, I'm getting through it. Well, you, it, 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 there's a saying that everything's impossible to somebody who does it, right? Yeah, so. yeah, that happened with the four-minute mile. That was where it came from. It, nobody could break the four-minute mile until, and I'm, I, I don't know his name, Roger broke, Bannister. Roger Bannister, of course, he knows the name. Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile, and from them, from that time, thousands of people broke the four-minute mile. Setting, setting standards there. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, and getting there first in that case. You know, luckily, in, in, as a, an actor or a writer, there's not like a, there's no bars for world records. <laughs> yeah. You know, six books in a year might be pushing it. That, that might be pushing the bar, but I don't know that Guinness will count that. The proceeds of this book though is what, what I what I see here is can you tell us more about what the purpose of it yeah so the the book club I, I set it up a little bit it was an indie it's an, it was an indie go go project and it is an indie go go project still I and mean, for anybody who's thinking about launching a project on Kickstarter or indieGoGo one of the great advantages of indieGoGo is if you meet your goal they will allow you they will you know not only allow you but they'll really encourage you and get behind you to keep your project active so you can continue to to sell past that opening window, so you know people can still find my book club on Indiegogo and subscribe, which is uh, helpful. Um, but uh, it, uh, I'm sorry, you're now let me back to the question again. I went too fast. <laughs> so the the purpose of besides oh, the, the right yeah. Idea, yeah. So the the <clears throat> Nobility Project is. As I mentioned only briefly earlier, my wife, Christy Pipkin, and I are the founders of the Nobility Project, and we made a film called Nobility, which looked at the world's problems through the eyes of Nobel laureates, and uh, made a couple more sequels to that. It's really a trilogy of, of features, and, and actually all those films premiered at South by Southwest Film Festival, which is a pretty good record. And mm -hmm. those, those three, and When Angels Sing, have had four feature premieres at South by. And... Um, they, they did fairly well, and they enable us to establish this uh, nonprofit, the Nobility Project. We still make films about global issues, but um, we're really an education nonprofit. And in Austin, we work with uh, a great homeless students program here, Project Help at AISD. And um, we work with Paramount Theater on arts uh, programming. We have a, quite a bit of work here. We were one of the big tree planting partners in Bastrop State Park. But the biggest chunk of the work is in Kenya, where we are, where we work with public schools to build new infrastructure. Because those schools are, a lot of them are falling down, or they're in areas where they never had a school. So um, we haven't built as many libraries as we have classrooms and preschools and a lot of the other components. And we're trying to build more libraries, and you have to stock the libraries. And so I decided I'd do this like Tom Shoes, the book club. If you when you subscribe, you're going to get six books. So then that puts six books into, into new libraries mm -hmm. we're building over. 
And we're going to open three of the, the first three. That was the goal. And those are all going to open uh, in, well, in about two weeks. So and we've gone fast. Where did that seed, where did that seed grow from? Why, why did you end up going down that road with the Nobility That project? is a very good question. I um, went to Kenya, uh, a woman named Wangari Maathai uh, was the first African woman to win the Nobel Peace Prize, or to win any Nobel Prize, but she won the Peace Prize for her tree planting organization and women's empowerment group, the Greenbelt Movement. And Wangari invited me to come to Kenya and um, to plant trees with her group, and I mean, I fell in love with Kenya. So in, in many ways, it reminds me of Texas. Um, and I wanted to plant trees at a school, and while I planted trees at a school, they said, you know, would you help us build a water system? And it's, a, it's kind of a story we've all heard many times, but this is quite a while ago. Um, it's in 2005, and I, you know, was a little shocked that they didn't have any source of water at all at the school, and the kids were walking in long distances and drinking water that made them sick. So we, we worked with the community to build a purified water system, uh, rainwater collection system, kind of thing you'd do in central Texas. Mm -hmm. And um, and then I, next time I went back, I, you know, they said, would you help us build a high school? And the kids were literally, education was ending after the eighth grade. And it, it's pretty hard to say, no, nah, I don't really care that your kids can't go to high school. So we built one high school and that led to another one. And, you know, we've built almost 30 uh, two-year preschools now and we've built almost all of four full high schools and, um, and work at a lot of primaries. We have a lot of kids in college. It just started and it snowballed. It's gotta be pretty easy to fall in love with a, with a project like that when you're helping so many people, I would imagine. I mean, I would imagine. You know, what's interesting about it is that I don't think that if we weren't in Austin, I don't think it, it, the very much of it actually would have happened. And I don't know, people always talk about what makes Austin special, but. You know, when we'd show these movies, like when we showed Nobility in One Piece at a Time in Austin, the audiences w would say, oh my God, we have to, we want to be a part of that. Or Building Hope was the third film, which is about that first high school we built. And the audience would be at the Paramount Theater with a thousand people, 500 of them would be waiting outside saying, how can we help? You know? I want to help. And w mm -hmm. when I would show the movie in L.A., I'm sorry, all my friends in L.A., but when I'd show the movie in L.A., we'd have like a premiere at the Arclight Cinema and we, in Hollywood, the best place to possibly be, the old Cinerama Dome. We'd have a red carpet premiere and amazing people would come out that I knew from our Texas connections and old friends and films and, you know, Billy Bob Thornton and Dennis Quaid and, and Matthew McConaughey and Camilla Alls and a lot of other, Peter Fonda would all come out, walk the red carpet and take pictures with us and... Everybody would love the movie, and they'd say, congratulations, good movie. See you next time. And mm -hmm. In Austin, people want to do good things, you know? Mm -hmm. And same thing in New York. I think New York's been a little easier, but really a large part of our support has come from just being a part of Austin. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a great community. It really is. Love it. That's why we built the magazine here. Yeah, and it, and that's a community all in its own. It's yeah. incredible. And and I think if you you know if you do, may you may be planning founding New York or you may be planning founding Hollywood or something. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It's a, it's gonna be different. It, it's harder. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know I do I do want to ask you for any aspiring author out there that maybe has an idea, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. What what kind of advice? 
that could you give anybody listening that is maybe going down that road with an idea, good or bad, um, to, to pull the trigger, you know? It's First advice I'd give is don't ask me to read it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> because you'll be waiting years. Yeah. And then, but, but, you know, it's funny, that comes back to some advice in, in general, which is, you know, when you finish a draft of something, a screenplay, a book, you're, you know, you're so eager to get some feedback. So, you know, so let's say a friend of mine finishes a screenplay and says, will you read it? Will you read it? Will you read it? And I go, okay, yeah, I'll read it. And then if I read it and I'm not, my socks are not knocked off by reading the screenplay, well, I'm done. I'm not going to come back and read it again mm -hmm. once they rewrite it. And I have pretty consistently found that if somebody says, will you read something? And I say, I'll, I'm going to put it on my stack. I'm going to get to it as soon as I can, but it might take a while. If I get back to him a couple of months later and I say, hey, I still haven't read that book, I still haven't read that screenplay, are you, are you still looking for feedback? 90% of the time they'll say, don't read that draft. I started working on it again. It wasn't ready. And, you know, so some of the advice I would give is when you think it's finished, is a really good time to set it aside for a few weeks and then go back and read it with a fresh eye and see if it, if it knocks your socks off as much as it did when you had that rush of enthusiasm when you when you were finished um, I think this this book Requiem for a Screenplay speaks to that really well I went back and uh, there were several obviously a lot of drafts of these three screenplays um, Death and Taxes is one uh, and that was the earliest one it's, it's a story I wrote really almost a, a, it came out of the Willie Nelson IRS days and Willie and I playing golf and talking about the IRS and it wasn't set around Willie, it wasn't set in Texas, but it was a it's about an architect in LA who is a kind of a lost soul. He's building, you know, early day corporate strip centers and um, he just money, you know. He was a guy who wanted to be an artist and have, you know, have his paintings at the Russell Collection Gallery, but instead he's building strip centers with, you know, a big bottle of alcohol stuck on in a, on top of the liquor store on the corner. And um, and he gets audited by the IRS. He has a kind of a gonzo a tax attorney. He gets audited by the IRS. And it's kind of what you'd think would happen. It's death and taxes, you know. But the, the auditor, he literally, the, the minute the door opens, he falls in love with the auditor. So it's a love story about a, a real love-hate relationship. Wow. Because we all hate the IRS, yeah. of course, especially back then yeah. when the IRS was kind of out of control. So I went back and started looking at the drafts. And the difference between, like, one draft that I read and I, I hadn't found like the last draft of the screenplay and I got in all my old computer files and printed files on the shelf and I pulled one down and I read it and I was like, gosh, I thought this screenplay was so good. And now I see, now I see why it didn't get made. You know, I mean, I see all these weaknesses in here in the story and this character could have been stronger and, and, and I was actually pretty bummed about it. And then as I was looking for, the, I think, the next screenplay and looking for drafts of that, I found a later copy of Death in Texas. And it was like night and day yeah. bet wow. between the quality of the first one and the quality of the second one. And I know that what happened was I took it to a couple of screenwriters I liked in L.A. and they read it and said, you got to go. They didn't say, fix this, fix that. They said, go back to work on it. So yeah. it's patience. Yeah. It's patience, right? It's don't rush the process, especially if it's a creative process and you're dealing with thoughts. And I'm sure, and I don't know anything about writing really, but I'm sure the process changes throughout the book as you're writing it, right? You, have, you spring new ideas all the time or 
different twists. And well, when I was writing Moleskin mystery, this mystery, it was a mystery to me too. I, I loved the idea of what, uh, of how this book started and where it was, and but I didn't, I didn't know. I know I didn't even know the lead character's name, and you'll notice the book says the Moleskin mystery by anonymous, and I had a couple of friends uh, call me up. Um, Another screenwriter, my buddy Mike Rich, uh, called me up who wrote uh, who wrote um, the screenplay to Finding Forrester, and uh, I think he wrote Friday Night Lights and Secretary of and Radio, a lot of really great movies. Wow. And Mike uh, read the book. He called me up uh, last week and was like, "I loved it." Like, I was like, "I don't know what I expected. It's such a little book. I wouldn't. I didn't really have that high, which is a good way to start a book, you know, yeah. high of expectations." And I just. You know, I got completely caught up in it, and it was like so much more to it than I expected. And I said, yeah, and he said, I love that lead character. There's something about that, you know, and I said, yeah, I don't know. I could never figure out, you know, about his name. Did you think he, he had the right name, you know, when you're naming these characters? And he went, well, it's, uh, and he was like, wow, I'm kind of embarrassed. I can't remember what his name is. And I said, you know, that's because it's not in there anywhere. Wow. And um, <laughs> so you, uh, I didn't know who the, who the name of the character was, and it turned out it didn't matter. That turned out to be an asset, you know, and because let's face it, it's fiction. Yeah. I can call him Dan. I can call him Turk. I can call him anything I want to call him. Um, <clears throat> but that persistence thing, uh, I'm going to go to another, another great master, a real master of screenwriting. I mean, Mike is too, Mike Rich. This is two of them. Another great master is Scott Rosenberg, who wrote... Uh, Beautiful Girls and Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead and Con Air and a whole lot of really big movies. I mean, probably a billion dollars worth of movies. Oh. And when Beautiful Girls, I think, was the first of those, when it sold and uh, and got made with its incredible cast, it's like one of the great indie films of all times. <clears throat> and Scott was out doing promo and somebody said, what was the secret to you writing your first screenplay and becoming an in you know an instant hit and he said well the secret was it was my 13th screenplay <laughs> not my first <laughs> practice 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 yeah and he wrote 13 he wrote 12 before he, he wrote the one that was good enough to be a classic very cool that makes the point well thank you very much Turk for being coming and being our guest we certainly enjoyed I know there's so much more to your story I wish we had time to dive into every every nook and cranny but uh, we'll, ha we'll have you again also, I'd, I'd love to do that, and, and I'll, I'll toss it in there if people want to subscribe yeah, to the yeah, book club. Please. Same thing if they want to learn about the Nobelity Project. You can go both ways. You can go to Nobelity, you know, B-E-L, like Nobel Laureate, nobelity.org. Mm -hmm. um, there's a link there, and there's tons of video if they want to watch some of our video. and, and Or they can go to turkpipkin.com, and there's a link to get to Indiegogo there. But um, books are shipping, and we're building libraries. That's awesome. Awesome. Everybody go uh, visit... Go visit the website and support the, the project and also support the subscription book club. It's all for a good cause. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Thanks, guys. It's always important to remember how much work goes into mastering a craft. Your first draft will not be the one you sell, and oftentimes your first venture won't be the most successful either. Getting to 10,000 hours of mastery literally cannot happen in a day. Thank you, Turk, for the reminder and for speaking with me. The Masters and Founders team includes me, Dan Dillard, and producer Mariah Gossett. Thank you, Ryan Francis, for co-hosting this episode with me, and a special thanks to all the folks at Founding Austin.
If you're enjoying the show, make sure you are a member of our Facebook group, Masters and Founders, to get access to even more content. And don't forget to rate and review us on either iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, as it helps other listeners find the show. Thanks for listening.